teams sit right on the baseline. The big fella from New Zealand. When we cut him off baseline, he started walking in there. Welcome on to the Baseline Podcast. Thanks to everyone who's been tuning into our team updates. Had some really good ones. We're over halfway now. And with a month to go, there's a little bit of pressure to get the other 15 teams done, but we're rolling through them. Today we're doing the Atlanta Hawks, and we have Christian Salvador tuning in uh, from Atlanta. Uh, Christian, how are you going today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, glad to be here. Glad to talk some basketball. It's been a while. Uh, you know, the playoffs, uh, they feel like they happened yesterday, and they also feel like they were a year ago. So glad to uh, glad to get back on and, and talk some Hawks before the season starts. <laughs> yeah, awesome, man. Yeah, it's um, it's crazy. It just seemed like yesterday that the Hawks were – you know, surpassing expectations and having that massive playoffs. Um, just rip right in for me. Like, where do you, how do you feel the Hawks franchise is at? If you were, I always say this, if you were to take like take the temperature of the fan base, how do you feel the team is at, and how people feel feel uh, about the team local, um, and then how you feel they're at in terms of their life cycle with contending. Uh, absolutely. I think uh, I think this is by far the most positive the, the Hawks fan base has been since I've been following the team, since I've been a fan of the team initially, obviously, as a kid growing up, now talking about the team more than I am as a fan. But, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a good time to be a Hawks fan. They obviously, they're coming off the, the deepest, the best playoff run in franchise history. They won two games in the conference finals, and, uh, and, they, and they had a good shot at, you know, what ended up being the best team in the NBA. So, you know, Hawks fans are—they're over the moon. They're—they're they're loving their team right now. They—they uh, they don't really have any complaints, as, as they definitely shouldn't. And uh, I think—I uh, think right now it's, it's just more about you know, kind of, uh, kind of capitalizing on this on this capture of the fan base Hawks have. As everybody knows, uh, you know, the Hawks kind of fall into that uh, that kind of like Charlotte, and uh, I'm trying to think of a couple of other Washington and some of the other teams that kind of tend to yeah. fade away into the background in the NBA season. Even when they were good, even the 2016 Hawks, I mean, they still struggled to uh, to sell seats sometimes in the arena during the regular season. I don't think this team's going to have that issue though, and uh, I think it's uh, I think it's uh, Tony Wrestler and the ownership group as well as Travis Schlink. I mean, they've done a phenomenal job in kind of turning this around and getting the city behind a team that ultimately has struggled in the past to have the city behind them. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome, man. It's I think it's exciting for those teams you say that don't always sit. They're not always sitting at the top group in terms of their um, the excitement around the franchise, and don't always get that much national coverage as well. So I think it's exciting for the for the fan base, and also for them to be relevant with a team that's exciting. Nothing against that that 2016 team. You know, they were well put together, and and obviously had a lot of regular season wins. But I just don't think that they that they had anywhere near the depth, um, the star the star power, and then even the upside. I mean, you saw that team. You know, DeAndre Hunter was injured. Was injured. Um, Onyeka Okongwu, who I'm really high on, didn't play a massive amount. But when he did, a couple of times he was, you know, locking dudes up. Like, there's so many young guys that I... Bogdanovich was another one that I feel could definitely come along further. Um, and then even Trey Young. You know, Trey Young playing at an amazing level, but I feel like his shot probably didn't drop like like I I would have thought it did. So they the upside that they have as a team is, is huge, uh, I think, is... It's really exciting to see a team coming forward that's that's just built that way. It's it's built to defend. It's built um, to shoot a lot of threes, to play in transition. Like it, it almost like epitomizes what the NBA is these days. The way that the Hawks are built. How how do you like? Do you, do you feel like this is a really exciting team that can not only contend but you know be a be a real league pass team as well? 
Oh, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, I think the Hawks should be right up there at the top of the list with anybody who's just looking to watch fun basketball night in and night out, not even just as a fan of the team, but as a fan of the sport. I mean, they're going to go out there and Trey Young is going to make every correct read. He's going to make all the right passes for the right guys. And the guys that are open are going to knock down the shots and then they're going to make the right passes. It's just they play a beautiful brand of basketball that and you mentioned in there. I thought the, the funny thing is, you know, until uh, until probably the playoffs, I think even still most of the national and most people that didn't pay attention to the team were still kind of harping on the uh, on the Hawks' lack of defense just because of Trey. He's going to get that. I mean, people are going to be down on the Hawks' uh, defense because of that. But at the end of the day, if you're going to be bad at one position defensively, you might as well have it be your point guard, the least important position defensively anyways. So, you know, the, the rival of yep. Clint Capella, the play of DeAndre Hunter, Solomon Hill, even defensively at, at points, um, John Collins has come a, a mile uh, as a defender since uh, since he came into the league. So, you know, it is interesting. They can go out there and they can they can really bully some teams. And despite Trey's lack of size, it's a big team. They'll put out some some pretty monster lineups, especially when you take Trey off the court and you play with some of these bench units. Um, so I think something important with the Hawks, you kind of mentioned it there, was you know what they can do that that's really awesome is they can be uh, they can be variable in, in their lineups and the type of ball they play. If they want to go out there and go big, they can play Kevin Herter at the point guard, and their their shortest player is going to be six five, six seven. Um, so I mean, they can really go out there and maul some teams. On the same time, they got John Collins, who can be a true small ball five, spacing the floor, shooting threes, and they can go and outrun teams if they want to. So I think that was important down the stretch, and like you said, depth wise, you get a lot of guys hurt, but yet a lot of guys step up and play roles. Uh, who knew Tony Snell was going to come out and be the best three point shooter in the NBA? Granted, on <laughs> about a hundred attempts, but still. Uh, you know, it was a fun season, man, and I think they did all the right things in the off season to uh, to keep that momentum going. Yeah, agreed. It's it's a team where when I look at it, I see I just see so much depth. And when you're a playoff team, having that lineup, so I'm a Blazers guy, having the lineup versatility is so important. A team like the Blazers have been in the playoffs, you know, eight, nine, ten, yeah. ten straight seasons. But the lineup versatility means that if you have an injury, um, you know, you you you're able to bring in different guys. You have lineup versatility in terms of defense. Um, you know, you can play big, you can play small. You have guys that can match up with Embiid and Giannis in the playoffs, um, or you can you can space the floor and you know space it out to five and pull guys like Rudy Gobert and and those type of defensive bigs away from the basket. I think the first guy that what I want to talk on is is John Collins. Um, happy, I'm always happy to see when young guys get the life changing money. You know, you got five. Correct me if I'm young, wrong. I think it was five years, 125. Um, young enough that I feel like the deal has a lot of upside, and the the main thing is that even if you think in the future that if things change, you and I know the Hawks aren't thinking about this now, but if you get the guy in five years and something change changes, you can always trade them down the down um, down the road. So they retained they retained him, which was key. Um, a guy that I feel if he needs to play more minutes, that that he's able to can play the four, can play the five. Seen his shooting. I know it's been up and down, but I feel like we've seen the volume and then also seen the efficiency that he can he can be like a legitimate stretch guy as he continues to improve on his game. How how much has Collins come on and and how big of a how big of a uh, part will he play in this team in the future? Oh, I mean, other than other than Trey Young, uh, you know, I still think that despite the the counting stats being down on the year, I mean, he was the most important player to the Hawks season. Um, you know, Quint Capella did a great job of, of defending the rim and, and, and he's a, he's a great player in his own right. I could argue, you know, that as well. And some people may, but John Collins just kind of does it all. You said it there. The Hawks asked him to be a small ball five. He goes out there, spaces in the corner above the break, 
knocks down shots and, uh, and, and, and cuts to the basket and makes plays. He has to play next to Clint Capella. That's fine. I'll stretch the floor again and I'll play out there on the wing and, uh, and knock down threes, let Clint Capella, you know, kind of clean everything up. And on defense, I'll take down the, uh, you know, I'll play the, I'll play the help. You know, I'll, I'll make sure that I'm kind of the secondary rim protector when Capella gets kind of, you know, uh, gets taken up. You know, the other thing about Collins that's so incredible is, uh, is, is the rebounding. Um, of course, you know, he's going to go out there and he's going to get, you know, 10 or 12 a night. And it's really important when you have a shot blocker, when you have a defender like Capella, who a lot of times is going to end up after he contests a shot, of course, kind of being out of the play to get that board. You have a guy like Collins coming in, swooping in and making a big play. You see it offensively on all the putback dunks <laughs> that he had in the Philly series, especially. Um, he flipped two games completely around with, uh, with that kind of play. So, and ultimately, yes. you know, you said that about the life changing money for young guys. I love it for guys in general, but I especially love it for a guy like John Collins. Um, I've never personally had any interaction with him. I'm hoping to have have some more access and kind of do some more of that stuff this year. Um, but I mean, by all accounts and by everything you see, he's 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 one of the A plus guys in the league, man. So for him to go out there get the 525, he kind of bet on himself. The offer was out there four for 90 the year before to kind of to change that in 35 million <laughs> in guaranteed money, uh, an improvement over the previous what he was being offered. Is just unbelievable. I think he's a huge piece going forward, and I definitely think there's still room to grow because, you know, while he is a great player in a lot of aspects, he still can improve on his ball handling. He can be a better playmaker passing the ball. He has some struggle kind of on the short roll a lot of times, kind of making the read, but we saw flashes of it. Uh, he actually threw a couple alley-oops to click the fellow this year, which is pretty funny to see. So, uh, yeah, no, man, I mean, there's really – there's you can't say enough about John Collins. He's not the guy that's going to blow away up to somebody who just watches in the box score, but anybody who watches basketball – is going to know that that guy is uh, that guy's going to go out there and he's going to help your team win basketball games. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah, exciting, exciting guy who I think at twenty three has some really high upside for this team. Uh, we're going to go back, go into the guards now. Um, backup point guard, I feel was, and backup ball handling was probably one of the reasons that the Hawks were bad. Like only recently um, was the massive yeah. fall off from Trey Young, and as a guy that that will will start to play high minute loads. You know, quite quickly. You know, as as he moves into his prime, which I think you know is probably still, uh, you know, you one two three years away. His his minute load will start increasing. Um, and I feel as he strengthens his body, the trays trays a guy that I think will he will maybe be a little bit better on defense. He'll rebound a little bit better. He'll be better finishing at the rim. There's a lot, but he'll have to take on massive amounts of responsibilities. So getting in a guy like Lou Williams, I think, was really important. He should have changed the way that that the um that the team was able to attack. And I feel that as a guy that he's a great team dude who will, who will you know accept a lower role if he needed to, but a guy who can go and get you a bucket who sort of plays with a different tempo, you know, he can set people up. Um, mm-hmm. And because of the defensive pieces that the Hawks have, um, he's actually he's actually a nice fit if you have certain other guys there. Uh, how do you feel about yeah. Lou and, and, and what, what do you see him adding to this team? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I thought that was a masterclass in, uh, in in trade deadline maneuvering by Travis Schlink. I mean, you got a guy like Rondo who, before the season, I'll be the first to say that I was extremely high on the move. I thought Rondo was going to be a great piece for the Hawks, be a great mentor, and, you know, kind of kind of fill in those backup minutes. And then, uh, basically, you know, all that same was true for Lou Williams. Uh, you know, Rondo kind of fell off. He didn't. He didn't, he didn't play a whole lot, and, and when he did play, it was underwhelming, to say the least. Uh, you kind of saw how in the playoffs with the Clippers, he fell apart, uh, and they didn't really have him even in the, in the rotation. So playoff Rondo 
might have just been a bubble thing, but uh, we'll definitely see. Definitely a good thing the Hawks got off that contract and got two second-round picks out of it and the better players. So, uh, but, I mean, on Lou Williams specifically, you said that about, you know, stylistically and about the Hawks' backup point guard. You know, people forget that in, in the years before, and I say years as if it's been some long time, the two years before uh, Lou got there since we've had since Hawks have had Trey Young, uh, Jeremy Lin was the best pack-up point guard that the uh, that the Hawks had. So, uh, you know, you see a lot of times that you know backups can be overblown in some ways, but uh, they can they can absolutely be the difference of being a good team and a great team, especially in the playoffs. And I thought Lou did a did a phenomenal job, kind of filling that role that the Hawks needed him to do multiple times throughout the year when Trey was out. Lou stepped up and, and had some great games. I thought actually, interestingly enough, you know, in the games that Trey played and, and Lou was playing with him. He he really didn't uh all, play all that well uh compared to Lou's standards. Now he was a, he was a whole lot better than anything the Hawks could have asked for back at point guard otherwise. But uh it was actually the games that Trey missed that that Lou really, you know, started to show up. There was a there was a Milwaukee game um in the of course in the playoffs that, you know, he kinda carried the load offensively and, and really showed out uh, in one of the biggest games of the season. And before that, you know, uh there was a game where Trey Young was missing when they were down in Orlando. Lou came out, had a great game and it's just, you know, it's always good to have a vet. Also, a guy from Atlanta, he obviously enjoys playing for the team. I'm glad that they got him back on this deal. And I think even with the addition of DeLon Wright, I think it's still great to have another depth piece with Lou because, as we saw last year with the Hawks, man, uh, there is nothing wrong with having depth because anything can happen and guys can miss any amount of time and you need to be ready. Yeah, agreed, yeah. And I love the I love the DeLon Wright move. Yeah. Obviously got off Bruno Fernando. Uh, I actually liked the Chris Dunn signing at the time, um, but – Sadly for him, I think injur- injuries were a, were a thing, and you, you you just never know when you're going to sign a guy. So I feel like to get off Fernando, who probably wasn't going to play, uh, bring back DeLon Wright. You obviously get to get his bird rights as well, um, which is good. You know, you can you can decide to bring him back because he, he's been on that deal for a while if you want to, or you can just you can just let him walk later. Later, but Wright's a guy who's imp- whose shooting has improved over the last couple of years good defensively um and then pr- like can f- probably fit in next to Lou can fit in next to Trey um you know we'll, we'll be able to play yeah. a little bit at both positions and it's just like that the Swiss army knife type dude that that can come in and, and on a playoff team um I feel like he's probably he probably hasn't really had the opportunity to show um you know what he could do at that level but you know 20 minutes a night whatever it might be in the in the playoffs um I think he's a guy that can help this team Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I liked, uh, like you said, I liked the Chris Dunn, Dunn signing too. I thought it was exciting. I thought it was something that uh, that would be interesting. Injuries derailed it. It is what it is. I'm, I'm glad that I think both teams probably or both sides of that were probably better uh, better with the split. Dunn wasn't going to see a whole lot of minutes on this season uh, or, or, or on the team this season, especially with the emergence of Kevin Herter as a defender in the playoffs. And you know, you, a lot of those kind of you know wing slash guard uh, def- guys that you need to defend. If you got a guy like Kevin who can go out there and, and start playing a little bit better defense, then the need for the defensive specialist to Chris Dunn, especially since it, it kind of felt like he forgot how to dribble um, kind of toward the end of the season. Obviously, injuries kind of had an effect there. But either way, I think that the right signing is great. Uh, you know, a trade for is, is great. Um, you know, getting off Fernando, you know, it doesn't really, you know, do a whole lot one way or the other. I think Bruno's is good for him to be in a different place now. He wasn't, uh, wasn't kind of living up to expectations, um, which Hawks fans had expectations for him as a second round pick. It wasn't really fair to him, you know, kind of initially at the end of the day, second round pick is a second round pick. But, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I think Wright is going to fit in well. He's going to be a good depth piece. He, you said that he's malleable. He can, he can play next to and, and with basically everybody on the roster. There's not really a lineup that, he sticks out like a sore thumb in. So, uh, you know, just again, 
another town that Travis Link, you know, kind of went out there, looked around, used an asset, and turned Bruno Fernando and Chris Dunn, uh, who were basically lost players for the Hawks, into something that they can use. Yeah, yep, I like it. I like the move. And in terms of other young guys, um, Onyeka Kongwu, um, dude coming into the draft, um, you know, out of USC, just seemed like a dude who you watched his highlights. You just knew that he was different, you know, and, and he played, you know, Chino Hills, didn't get a chance really offensively to show what he had in high school. And I think that probably bodes well. Um, you know, it means that there's there's more improvement there. Um, sometimes the undersized guys that are, that are defensive types will either they'll be overrated or underrated depending on what they could do, you know, like yeah. the Caleb Swanigans of the world or whatever it is, that, that they can be they can be put into a into a box where maybe you you, you know that teams will undervalue or pick them lower based on lower or higher based on what they think they can do. I feel like a combo has a bit more offensively, but defensively he's a guy when some some things happen in the playoffs, the way he defended like high level NBA players in the playoffs, I think there was some real I don't know if it was shock, but there were some people were like, wow, this guy, this guy really has it. Um, and like being able to recover from the perimeter and, and move his feet and amazing shot blocking. I don't know what this guy's ceiling is, um, but if, you, if you're talking about a young team with a guy who, you know, he's 2000 born kid, you know, so he's only 2021, 20, um, has a massive upside. Right. What, what do you feel about a Wu and, and, and the Hawks franchise together? Oh, I mean, I think, uh, you know, the season started off slow. He was kind of, you know, he was injured and, and, and kind of came off from that foot injury. And even when he debuted and came out, he was just kind of underwhelming at first. You know, definitely you know, had some stuff to get in shape and just kind of learning the offense, learning the defensive scheme a little more. Rookie struggle, especially at the big man and point guard. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I thought, uh, you know, even as somebody who watches the Hawks uh, every night and, you know, kind of does this as uh, as my – as my full-time hobby and uh you know basically most of my most of my uh, free time is spent on it uh a Kongu's playoff performance was unbelievable uh you know there were there were moments where one of the he would he flipped the game and he would kind of go in there and especially against the Sixers against Joel Embiid where you would think that the Hawks had about as good of a guy as you could in Clint Capella and I don't think Clint did bad um but he definitely didn't play him good and I think a Kongu actually played him good and was a better matchup for Capella than even than even uh, or better matchup for Embiid than even Cabela was. A Congo man, like you said it, I don't know what his ceiling is. I, I I barely even know what he is. I mean, he's a he's a switchable big that can that can get downhill and uh, and I think the finishing is going to improve. He's going to get a little floater in his game. I'd imagine. I think it would be a good idea for him to kind of check out that Rashawn Holmes uh, kind of push shot that he has. You know, as that six eight kind of six yep. nine kind of in, in, tweener big that's definitely going to be helpful for him to finish from around there. But I also noticed that as the season went on, he started to get more aggressive, uh, literally in terms of dunking the ball. Uh, you know, something big with him is yeah. a lot of times he would go up for a layup on guys that, frankly, he was stronger than or more athletic than. And, you know, it goes up for dunks, and it's not just finishing, but just drawing fouls. He's a good free throw shooter. I think the shot's going to translate. I think Kongu has an absolute chance to be the second or third best player on this roster uh, two or three years down the line. So, you know, again, just a, just a uh, testament to um, – you know, to to the depth on the Hawks, to what they have. Another reason why that John Collins signing is, is is perfectly fine, and anybody who thinks it's an overpay can relax because at the end of the day, that contract will never not be movable. And uh, the second that you know Collins does, you know, kind of step out, which you know, of course, hope that never does happen. <laughs> I love John and think he's great, 
But um, but you know, Kongu is going to be the type of guy that can step right in immediately and kind of and kind of fill that void in a lot of ways. Hopefully by that time. So I think he's a uh, you know he's a yeah. uber talented guy that uh, that's gonna that's gonna make a great impact for the Hawks, especially come playoff time when these teams want to put these bigger guys or smaller guys. And he's going to be a mismatch on either one. Yeah, agreed. But moving on to to another big um, that actually ended up playing some three, um, Danilo Gallinari. I think what mm-hmm. I liked about the Hawks last year is that. There were chances, not chance. There were, um, you know, when you when you sign a guy, and and you know, it's a guy who's not able to maybe move his feet as well when they're up six ten. Is it immediately people thought that Gallinari was going to be a five, and on a lot of teams, a guy like him does end up playing the five. You know, he can he can stretch out that far. He's not a great shot blocker, um, and not a huge rebounder. But in the end, the way that the, with the lineups that they were able to throw out there because of his floor spacing and his strength, he was actually able to play a little bit of three. So I liked that the I like that the Hawks didn't really care about what the, you know, the supposed way that you're meant to play guys like him, but um, obviously really experienced dude, absolute bucket in terms of being his, being a guy who can create for himself at six foot 10, amazing shooter. What, what, what do you see his role moving forward? And obviously he's, he's a guy who's had injury issues in the past. Um, but when you have to spend your, you know, obviously you have, there's a salary floor, you have to spend your cap every year. I feel like it was a good, it was a good piece of business bringing him in, but with a lot of competition on the roster, what do you see his role moving forward as, as he continues to age? Oh, absolutely. I think, uh, I think the move to get him last year was extremely savvy. I thought that was a great pickup. He made a lot of plays throughout the season in the playoffs. He's a good vet. You know, he's got a silky smooth jumper. Uh, I say smooth, I guess it's kind of, it's got a little hitch in it and it doesn't exactly look smooth, but it's as smooth as it gets in terms of actually going in. So, uh, Man, Gallo, he uh, he made a big difference for the Hawks. I thought he, was, he, he seemed like he brought a great energy to the team as well. You know, kind of lighthearted, you know, good competitive guy, but also seemed to uh, seemed to bring a good energy to the team. Um, moving forward with Gallo, you know, he's obviously up there in age. I don't have the exact age right here in front of me, but um, I think uh, he's he's got about as good a case for any player uh, to be on on the quote unquote nowadays the load management schedule. Um, you know, Gallo is is going to be good in the playoffs, and when he's at healthy, when he's at full strength, he's one of the better big men. And like you said, you know, kind of even even able to play the three. I think that's a, especially a testament to Collins, um, you know, kind of being able to to play a little bit more. You know, even though Collins was technically at the four, he was able to cover a little bit on the wing and make up for some of Gallo's lack of speed defensively and Capella as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Gallo's going to have to uh, – he's going to have to fight for minutes um, this year in terms of just, you know, if he's not having it on a night, there's no reason that the Hawks are going to have to kind of, you know, leave him out there for too long. But, you know, back-to-backs, if he's not feeling great, the ankle's a little sore, uh, you know, when they're on a long road trip, when they got some, when they got a big game coming up, uh, you know, I, I definitely expect to see Gallo take some, uh, take some, take some rest games and take some games off, just get him in the playoffs and let him do what he does best, which is, you know, abuse matchups and get out there and make shots when you need him to. So I think that's his role. I think the role is basically get to the playoffs. And then once the playoffs get there, you know, those big lineups uh, they had against Philly, especially were just deadly. I thought, like you said, it was a testament to Nate McMillan not not giving in to kind of a traditional lineup and just realizing that Gallo at the three, uh, you know, really changed things for them, especially offensively. And, uh, you know, he, he he had about as good of a season as I would have asked for, you know, coming in. He's on a $20 million contract, but you got to spend that money somewhere, like you said. Probably an overpay, but at the end of the day, they, they didn't have anywhere they could have probably put that anyway. So good thing to have Gallo on the roster. And, um, and yeah, I think he's going to be – He's going to be big this season, kind of similar to how he was last year. I don't see it changing too much for him in terms of backup four. Yeah, got you. Yeah, and next international guy, um, 
uh, Bogdan Bogdanovic. Um, I always get him confused with. I know what I know that the um, who he is and who Boyan is, but sometimes I'll just call yeah. him Boyan. Um, another Absolutely. international sniper. Like there's you know there's there's so many of them in the league. Um, but you know got got the bag um, coming out of of Sacramento um, as a guy that. He, he, I, st- I think his shot creating is all, almost more American in, in terms of being able to create and pass. And, um, you know, he's big at 6'6", six, six, makes clutch plays. When you think about the ceiling of this team and, and the role that, that he sort of had, you know, with, with some of the injuries and not playing as many games as he could, I feel that, that and, and Bogdan, as he continues to improve, he is a guy that, um, when he's fit, really raises the the ceiling of of this team, and you know, he can play make as well. Six foot six, as I said, um, he's just a a really great young shot creating wing. How with a fit Bogdan, like where does he sit in? Where does he fit into this team? Um, you know, is he is he going to be starting? Is he going to be starting again this year? Like, is he the starting shooting guard? Like, how do you feel he fits in? Because he, he's a guy that I'm really high on. Absolutely. Uh, you know, first off, just to answer that like last question, I think that, uh, you know, in my opinion and, and what I what I think they'll do is is I think Bogdan will absolutely be the starter. Um, you know, some of the other guys, young guys have really come along and, and played a lot better. But like you said, you can't replace his, his, his veteran ability just to get his shot whenever he wants it, to play make whenever he wants it. You know, the thing about him is he's really pretty much good at everything. And then he's great as a shot maker. Yeah. So, you know, he doesn't really give you any reason. He can play with everybody, do everything. I thought a big turning point in the Philly series. Um, I think this is like my fifth big turning point in the Philly series. But one of the big turning points in the Philly series was uh, when McMillan decided to start staggering uh, Bogdan and Young because Bogdan kind of leading up that second unit, you know, while they started together, Bogdan playing a lot with the bench. You can't replace uh, what he can do uh, offensively, especially, and defensively he's no slouch. He brings a competitive mindset that a lot of guys uh, either don't have or, or don't show through as much, uh, especially on the TV screen. But, you know, he always seems to be, you know, the most intense. He seems to be there. He seems to want it when the moment's the biggest. And that's that's a sports cliche. And, you know, everybody wants the last shot. And But I, I truly do believe that if that's true of anybody, that they truly want the last shot, um, you know, Bodon's going to be right there at the top of the list. He had a lot of big shots. Uh, probably none bigger throughout the run than the than the three pointer in the in, in game one of the Knicks series. Um, ball goes off of R.J. Barrett's back. It's a it's a, just a wild kind of sequence of events, and he just picks it up and drills the three. I, I think that that put him up by four at that moment, um, or at least brought them back. I don't remember the details of that, but either way, uh, Bogdan's a monster man, yeah. and I think he absolutely will start. He'll play 35 plus minutes tonight, and he's going to be uh, probably the second best offensive player on this team, uh, of course, behind the main man Trey Young. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. That's awesome breakdown, man. The next next shot creating guard is Kevin Herter. Um, I had uh, Steve Steve D'Agostino as a um, uh, shot creator. Oh, sorry, not shot creator. Um, a tra- development trainer um, who's had shot creators like Kevin through and actually trained Kevin when yeah. he was 14 or 15. It's a really good pod for people to go back and listen to. Um, and just talked about what this guy was doing at, you know, at 14 or 15. Coming down the court, throwing, you know, one-handed cross-court passes from one corner to the other, you know, getting up, dunking, amazing, amazing shooting. And he seems to be a guy that um, he, he's been, I know he's one of the longer tenured Hawks when you feel about the, the, the way the team's turned over in the last three years. Um, but he sort of crept up out of nowhere and and all of a sudden was having these games where, you know, he was guarding some of the best players, you know, um, 
guarding some of the best players on the opposition team, creating for others, um, you know, shooting well, finishing at the rim. Um, did did struggle a little bit when he had to defend some of the big threes and fours, like he had to defend Tobias for a while. But I feel like he he never got, you know, he didn't he didn't get totally destroyed in that matchup, which is amazing considering yeah. how young he is. You know, he's only just looking him up now. He's only said he's only 190 pounds on on basketball reference. He's probably put on a bit of weight since then. Um, but he's yeah. just. He's just a guy that's like a bit of that glue guy. But again, shot creation on the wing is is one of the most important things you can have in the NBA. And and here's another shot creating wing that that the um that the Hawks have. First to you, how do you feel about him as part of the team? And also he's a guy who's going to get paid soon. Um what do you feel his market is? Yeah, uh, you know, Kevin probably more than anybody, uh, you know, enjoyed enjoyed the biggest breakout nationally uh from, you know, the before the playoffs and after, uh, you know, especially in that game seven, you know, where he, he goes out there, leads the team in scoring and, you know, frankly was the, was the best player on the court, uh, that night for the Hawks, especially, um, you know, Kevin, he, he does, he kind of similar to Bogdan, you know, he, he does everything good. And the thing that he's better than Bogdan at is passing. You mentioned that, uh, that's the underrated thing with Kevin Herter is a lot of people want to kind of put him in this box where they make him, you know, a, a jump shooter running off screens, catch and shoot, just kind of, you know, doing that, basically a lot of people want to turn him into Kyle Korver in their mind. And he's, he's a lot better player than Kyle Korver. Um, you know, it, it, yeah. it's, when it comes to all around offense. So, uh, Kev goes out there, man, and, and he does a great job of, of breaking down the defense and, and getting downhill. You know, one thing I'd like to see him improve on and, and that he's done a better job recently is finishing and actually getting to the rim. But I thought what was interesting is, yeah. is, you know, he started noticing that it was, it was tough to get to the rim. But what he could do is at six seven, he could get about three feet or four feet away from the rim and hit a little fadeaway over the smaller defender that he had on him. Um, he, he really got to that shot a lot. And, uh, you know, at six seven, you said it, every team in the world, every team in, in the NBA, every team in uh, every team in the NBL, every team in basketball wants six seven shot creating passers. And, uh, and that's what he does. He's going to get paid. I think the the baseline, if I'm a and if I'm Kevin Herter's agent, what I'm looking for is, is something similar to what Bogdanovich got. I don't see a lot of reason for uh yeah. for the Hawks to or for his agent to accept less than four for seventy two, especially considering that you know outside of you know of course the injury risk or something happening over the season, there's not a whole lot that can kind of you know diminish his value because at the end of the day that shot's not going anywhere and that playmaking isn't something that you just forget overnight. So I think Kevin's going to get a, a, a good chunk of change. Um, I hope it's with the Hawks. I hope that they continue to kind of pay everybody and the ownership is, uh, you know, willing to go into the tax because that's what's eventually going to have to happen. But uh, but I think whoever does end up giving Kev this next contract is going to be very glad they did because, I mean, again, you, you can't teach guys to be 6'7", and, 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 and you have a lot of struggle teaching guys to make the reads he does, especially offensively. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, that's a that's a great breakdown and on one another one of the exciting young players. Uh Trey Young, I don't know what to sometimes I don't even know what to make of this guy in terms of who he is and and how he now fits into this into the I think the next tier of superstars. When I was on the Boston Celtics doing the Boston Celtics breakdown, I talked about Jason Tatum and when you feel when we when we think about guys like LeBron Chris Paul, even Kevin Durant getting a little bit older now and and look at the next tier of guys coming through. Trey yep. Young and Jason Tatum, those type of guys, they're the ones that are going to carry this NBA for the next, you know, 10, maybe even 15 seasons for, for, for some of the younger ones. Trey just has the basketball IQ, you know, which is at a, at a very rare level. You know, he's able to, to throw passes 
that you know you don't see from anyone unless it's Chris Paul, um, LeBron. You know, it's just it's very it's very exciting for the league to see, especially with a guy with not massive size, that the, the things he's able to do. Obviously, creating for himself as well. You know, creates for himself at at really high levels. Um, feel like his shot is only going to get better. You know, he takes he does take a lot of difficult attempts, but I don't want people to read into his efficiency and say, you know, 35 or 36%. When he's, his volume is strong. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that he's, that he's not a great shooter. It's just that the way he is, he's able to draw fouls at a high level, you know, shot 87% from the line and the playoffs has his own signature shoe. I feel like Atlanta has a star player, like of, of the, of the highest, of the highest caliber. And um, if the NBA wasn't so strong in terms of, um, of guards you know for all nba i feel like he's a guy that you know very soon would be that first or second team um yeah talk on trey and just the impact that he's had on the city and this franchise you said it you know right there there at the very end first i mean more than anything the impact on the city i mean to take atlanta which has every right to be you know one of the best basketball cities in the nba um you know should be up there with uh with the best crowds should be up there with the best fans and, you know, they've obviously struggled over the years. They've never really had a guy, uh, you know, to really rally around and enter Trey Young. I mean, you, you really can't ask um, for a guy to be more entertaining, to be to be better with his outreach in the community, uh, to do everything on and off the court that you ask from a superstar. And, uh, yeah, I mean, kind of getting more into the, the basketball, you know, especially side of things. Uh, I don't I don't think that it's uh, and obviously I cover the Hawks. I watch them every night. I don't think that it's at all. Uh, crazy to say that Trey Young is probably the best passer straight up in the NBA. Um, you know, the the kind of stuff that he can do with the ball is is unbelievable. I mean, live dribble, left hand passes. He, he's coming down the court, he's making he's making two reads in the air and hitting and hitting the guy under the basket, you know, for an easy basket. Uh, I don't think I've seen him miss an alley-oop pass uh, since maybe his rookie year. And he just is unbelievable in, in every aspect. You know, you said that about the shooting. Uh, even if the shot, you know, doesn't come around, and 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 I say that as if he has a bad jumper, we're we're on the same page. When you're taking seven or eight three pointers a night, you know, outside of Stephen Curry, you're you're not going to hit forty percent very often, especially when you look at the percentage of shots. And I don't have it right in front of me that he takes himself. Uh, you know, he's he's definitely not one of the type of guys that uh, that gets a lot of catch and shoot opportunities, especially not open. Um, so Trey just does a phenomenal job. The deep shots he takes, the shot, the floaters. The, the kind of tougher, more contested shots that basketball fans and fans of the Hawks may kind of groan at sometimes. That's also the reason he's able to get downhill and make the reads he can and pick and roll. It's the reason that Kevin Herter comes open on the wing whenever, whenever they're trapping him and he's able to hit him outside of that. So, uh, you know, everything about Trey is exactly what you want out of a point guard in the in the NBA in 2021 or, you know, in any year for that fact. So, um, yeah, you said it. I mean, he's coming up. Trey Young. Jason Tatum, Luka Doncic, Zion Williamson. These guys are uh, these guys are going to be right there and competing for titles every year. And the Hawks should be very, very happy that uh, that they got one of those guys because we've seen in the NBA, if you don't have one of those guys, you're not winning it. You can put together the deepest, you can put together the 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 most well coached, well sound, put together team possible. But if you don't have one of those guys as top five, ten players in the NBA, you're, you're not winning at all. And I fully believe that the Hawks have that. And he, like you said, has not even hit his peak. So I'm excited to see what the future has in store, not just for him. But for the team in general, because because uh, that guy, there's just there's not enough said. We could do a two hour podcast on Trey Young, man, but he's just uh, he's unbelievable, and Hawks Hawks fans should be happy to have him. And uh, yeah, absolutely. That's that's yeah. that's pretty much all I got on the guy. 
that, that's good, man. That's amazing. Yeah, it's it's so exciting for, as you say, some of these smaller markets franchises um, to to have to have these star players. It's it's awesome. Uh, DeAndre Hunter is a guy I was actually really disappointed to see him get injured. I I don't want to, I don't like using the comparisons like Kevin Durant, but when we saw him coming on uh, in December and January, and I just pulled up his splits in the month of January, fourteen games, pretty good sample size, um, eighteen point seven points per game. 53% from the field and 89% from the line. Um, also shot 43% um, from three on and in December and sort of around that 36, 37% for the first 20 games of the season from, from deep. Um, I don't, I I think when Kim coming out, when he was coming out of college uh, from Virginia, you know, seemed like a guy who was going to be maybe a high end role player, but then we saw some of his shot creation yeah. in the second year, yeah. which, which sort of said that maybe, well, it maybe even feels a bit stronger than that. Like it, we we maybe saw that the, that there was going to be some other really high level shot creation. And when you look at him being six eight, um, yeah, it didn't. He just came on a lot quicker than everyone thought. With the packed roster on this team, and we haven't talked about guy, a guy like Reddish yet. With the packed roster, how does a guy like like this get enough burn so that he can control he can truly develop his game? Um, and when he when he's fit, where does he fit in now? Just because he obviously didn't. He obviously wasn't able to play um, a role in the playoffs with him coming back from um, from yeah. injury. You know, he only he only ended up playing five playoff games. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I think uh, assuming health and, and by all accounts, uh, you know, he, he seems to be full go by the time the regular season comes around. It's also been a little weird with their uh, with the way that they've been reporting injuries this off season. You know, they they announced you know of course his surgery he had during the playoffs. Uh, Bogdanovich uh, was clearly hobbled toward the end of the year, and we haven't heard anything about him. So we assume that, you know, that's obviously positive news. But uh, if, if, if assuming help for everybody on the roster, DeAndre Hunter is absolutely going to start out there at the starting small forward spot. Um, it's, it's absolutely his spot to lose, even with the emergence of Kevin Herter, who can play the threes, really more of a more of a guard. But, um, you know, Cam Reddish looked good in, you know, in, in the couple games that he played in the playoffs. But DeAndre Hunter, uh, before he went down, you mentioned that in January, uh, frankly, including Trey Young, DeAndre Hunter was likely the Hawks' best player uh, during that stretch of games that he was in there. Between defending the other team's best player every night and getting out there and getting his own shot, you know, the thing that he does that's so special and what we saw that was kind of a, a big jump from him beyond, like you said, just a, just a high-level role player, which is what exactly I expected. I didn't love the trade at the time. I thought that, you know, while Hunter was a good player, they kind of gave up a little too much, and I would have liked the depth. You kind of look at that trade more, and at the end of the day, they gave up, you know, three – they gave it kind of three first-round picks. But, uh, but you know, when you go up and, and you're a deep team like the Hawks, you know, you can't have unlimited rookies. you got to cut somebody somewhere. So it was kind of a good consolidation to go up and get your guy. Um, but Hunter, man, uh, you know, the way that he is able to punish smaller defenders and, uh, and get out there and, and really get his own shot wherever he wants it, however he wants it, uh, you know, teams are going to go out there and, and one of their best, uh, one of their best strategies they have to stop the Hawks is going to be to put their wing defender, their bigger, stronger guy on Trey Young. But when they do that, the other team, of course, is also employing a point guard on the court. And that point guard is inevitably going to have to guard Bogdanovich or DeAndre Hunter. So having at least two guys on the court at all times that can punish that. Uh, none better than DeAndre Hunter right now is uh, is important for the Hawks in their future. He went out there and in the in the Knicks series, uh, he took the task of guarding Julius Randle. I think Randle did a lot of work for him in terms of just not playing great, but Hunter absolutely gave him you know everything he could have defensively. So the guy is a uh, the guy's probably in my opinion. I was talking about this on Twitter not too long ago, and I did a mailbag over at the the site I write at. Um, 
but he's he's absolutely the second most untouchable guy on the roster. So they're never going to trade Trey Young. I can't imagine a scenario where that happens. You know, until it's I say never. They're not going to do it anytime soon. Um, but DeAndre Hunter is right there, kind of close to that. You know, it's going to take a whole lot. Uh, you know, to get DeAndre Hunter away from the Hawks, and they're going to give them just about what he wants, assuming that he continues his play. Now, I want to be skeptical, of course, because it was about 25 games of good basketball. And, you know, that's not a lot in the grand scheme. We've seen a lot of guys have good 25-game stretches in the NBA and play them out. So, but as of now, if that play is real, then, then DeAndre Hunter can absolutely be the difference between this team being really good in the playoffs and competing for the title. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. And 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 this is why and they're another team, and we've hopped on it a few times, is when you go down the roster, there's just so many exciting guys to talk about that can be mm-hmm. – that can really push this team over the top. Um, one team that gives the the one player that gives this Atlanta Hawks team different looks, I feel, is Clint Capella. Um, very much plays within his role. Um, you know, a good rim protector. Um, you know, can't defend well out in space, but there's other guys that can do that. Um, yeah. Just has those great instincts. Really great finisher, obviously, at the rim. Um, actually led the league in rebounding. I didn't realize that led the league in rebounding with fourteen point three rebounds. Um, last season, and amazingly, you know the guys only six ten. Four point seven of those are offensive rebounds, and you can't that you know Stephen Adams is a New Zealand guy is the same. You know him, those those two, and uh, <laughs> right. guys like Andre Drummond, just bringing bringing those extra possessions to the team by by hitting the offensive glass. I mean, four point seven is is a crazy number. Obviously, protects the rim and just brings in a, like a traditional center who, you know, he's. He's not going to be a great lob threat, but in the pick and roll, um, you know, you, if if guy like Trey's being double teamed and and he's able to get it on the wing to to someone else who can make plays, be it yeah, John Collins throwing lobs or um, someone else who's able to operate in the short roll, then you have a guy like Clint Capella who can come in. He can yeah, like I said, clean up on the offensive glass. You know, gets to the line, finishes strongly at the rim, uh, and had in a lot of ways, even though his minutes were less because the roster was more packed and a lot of ways had his best, had the best season of, of his career last year. When you look at not just his counting stats, um, but also how efficient he was as well. Oh, absolutely. I think uh, one thing that I don't, I don't think a lot of people outside of Atlanta realized about the first two years of, you know, the Trey Young experience in Atlanta was that the big men he were operating with, you know, you're talking like Damian Jones and Alex Lynn, Bruno Fernando for a long stretch, you know, in his rookie year, um, you know, center is one of those positions in the NBA that absolutely determines the floor of your team. And Clint Capella goes out there and just by being Clint Capella and being the size he is and giving the energy and effort that he does, he takes you immediately to be in a good team. A, you know, we talk about floor raisers and ceiling raisers. I think Trey Young is a little bit of both, but he absolutely, you know, raises your ceiling, takes you from a good team to a great team. Uh, Clint Capella does the same thing with the floor where, he takes you from even if you're a you know pretty bad team he can he can immediately bring you into at least being in it every night. Uh, most teams in the league uh, don't have a guy that can compete with Clint Capella. The absolute elite teams do, and we saw that in the playoffs between Lopez and, and Embiid. Um, but night in and night out, when Clint Capella is playing against you know some of these other centers in the NBA, he's just going to give you like you said four, five, six, seven extra possessions, and those can be the difference in a winner or loss, especially in the NBA when everything's so you know kind of tightly competitive and a difference in a winner or loss can be two or three points so you know Capella goes out there man and he gives great effort he uh you know he gets up and down the court you know with speed he had a lot of plays this year where he just simply outran the other team's center and got an easy play in, in transition as your big man so um yeah I mean I, I not enough can be said about the impact 
Capella had, especially defensively. He took the Hawks from being absolutely putrid to, you know, uh, at least a league average team defensively when he was out there. You know, interestingly enough, the Capella, Collins, and Hunter in the in the few minutes that they did play together, uh, I don't again, I don't have the number right in front of me, but they were one of the six or seven best defensive lineups in the NBA. Insert whatever two other players you want, uh, you know, into that. So even with Young on the court. Um, so Capella does a phenomenal job of just cleaning up. It doesn't matter what happens out on the perimeter. If they're coming downhill, Capella's going to be there and he's going to make a good play on the ball. So, uh, yeah, I think, you know, moving forward, he's a, he's a huge piece. I think he's, uh, you know, he definitely showed some of his weaknesses in the playoffs, especially finishing, uh, you know, out of the post or, you know, finishing layups and non-dunk attempts. But, you know, Capella's going to gonna get the Hawks right back there in the playoffs again. And, uh, and I'm excited to see you know, kind of his improvement on his chemistry with Young and kind of improving with Williamson or with Williams and uh, DeLon Wright coming out in there in the pick and roll. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Capella was a great pickup, and it only cost him the 17th pick in Tarion Prince. So, you know, Travis Schling has done a great job of managing his assets, and uh, and this has been this has been another example of that. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, yeah, he's really strong. Um, five that they've got, um, young and young enough to still be part of the team for a long time moving yeah. forward. Cam Reddish is an, another guy that um, that the Hawks have again, uh, and I don't think it's a negative. You know, you draft as many guys as you can, and and you know later on down the line, if you need to, you can move them or you can consolidate. Um, Reddish is is probably one the one of the ones that has the higher defensive ceiling, but he, he's, yeah. his offensive impact has been a little bit up and down. Definitely got got as far as far as his rim finishing has improved. Um, had a bit of a jump in his. And his rookie season where his efficiency improved and we saw a bit more from him in terms of his shooting. But it's hard now because when you go into the playoffs and, you, and you're and you playing high-level games, you know, you're winning series, it makes it harder for guys whose offense hasn't really come on to be big parts of the yeah. team. I, I'm really high on Reddish personally, but how do you how do you feel he fits in moving forward and um, does he need more time that maybe the Hawks don't have to put into him in terms of his minute load and what he needs to, to become a plus on the, on the offensive end. Yeah, I, I think you said it there, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, think about, I mean, we've been doing this now, you know, obviously for, uh, for about 45 minutes and, and, and we've gotten through a lot of really good players. There's a lot of good basketball players on this Hawks team. And no matter how high you are on Reddish, no matter what you think his ceiling is, uh, you said it, I, the Hawks may not have enough time to wait on him to reach that ceiling. I think that it would be, you know, a pretty wild move from from Schlenk to uh, to move him for anything less than, you know, as kind of a, a a starter level player that upgrades you at one of the positions. Uh, I don't I don't love the idea of trading him for a future first or taking a flyer on another young player. I think he presents a lot of the upside of of guys that you see that end up running the league, like we talked about. I mean, he's six eight. He shoots the ball okay. Uh, he, he technically. He shows flash. I say that he doesn't shoot the ball okay now, but he shows flashes of being a player that can. I mean, we saw it in in the playoffs in the last game in Game Six, where he goes out there and uh, is, he hits five or six threes. Um, you know, he, he's one of the best defenders, if not the best defender on the team. Uh, if he could just you know kind of figure out some of the smaller things, you know, in terms of ball handling and playmaking, he has more turnovers than he does assists to this point in his career, which is obviously something that he needs to work on. But, you know, people forget about the guy that he, he hasn't really had a real offseason yet, uh, you know, in the NBA. He comes in and he has a core injury that apparently he was dealing with a Duke that keeps him out of the offseason program for the Hawks going into his rookie year. He's finally playing a good stretch of basketball. And, of course, we have COVID-19 hit us in March and the season ends. Uh, you know, he goes through this offseason this last year, which was barely an offseason, comes into the year, gets hurt again. 
And uh, and here we are. He's healthy. He's going to have his first real off season with a training camp and you know kind of workouts and dealing with the trainer. So I, I think he's exciting. You know, he's the third wing, or he's the fourth wing on the roster. He's going to be the backup small forward. I think his minutes are going to be capped at fifteen to twenty a night, if that. And uh, we'll see. You know, the kind of flashes he shows, but. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough. Somebody eventually on this team is not going to be around in a couple of years. And I do think that of all the players, Reddish probably has the highest likelihood of being moved because other teams see what we're talking about. And they see a player that, you know, potentially can grow into something. And teams are willing to take flyers on six, eight shot makers who can defend. Yeah, agreed, man. We're going to we're going to close this pot out now. Um, talked about, you know, 90 percent of the of the players on the roster and just how exciting this young Hawks team is. Um I feel that the, the guys right at the back end of the roster, you know, the Sharif Coopers and the others, um, that there are some exciting yeah. players there. But at the moment, the Hawks have such a strong one through 10 that that, that will be the focus of this of this team moving forward. Yeah. They came up quickly in, in, a, in what's a stronger Eastern Conference than what we've seen for, for probably a long time. Um, but when you see, you know, um, the 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 big focus that, that the Bucks have in terms of Giannis and, and the 76ers with Embiid, that this is just a team that's different. It's full of shot creators. It's full of exciting young athletes, bigs that can defend, guards that can defend. They're just a team that's really exciting um, to follow. And and it shows just how strong the NBA is that a team can come from nowhere, basically, the previous season um, to, you know, I, th- I think being only a game or two or maybe an injury or two away from from maybe even making the NBA Finals. And it's a great time for Hawks fans. Oh, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, they, they, they rose kind of out of nowhere to most people. I think Hawks fans who are really tuned into the team, they weren't expecting a conference finals run. Well, I guess I'd say that some of them were, but uh, the people that kind of, you know, follow the team and trying to be kind of tempered with their expectations, we're, we're hoping for the playoffs. And I think that's what, you know, they kind of expected. And then obviously they go on this magical run of, you know, winning games that they weren't picked to win and that they shouldn't have won based on injury and stuff. And they just found a way. I think a lot of that goes back to Nate McMillan. I think that's where a lot of Hawks fans can feel confident that uh, you see a lot of young teams that make this big jump and they, 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 they make this, uh, you know, this big run that kind of fall off the next year. And maybe the Hawks do make the playoffs, but they're kind of a lower seed and, and fans are disappointed. I think that with the presence of Nate McMillan and his veteran experience and leadership, that, uh, that, that the Hawks will be pretty safe from that kind of drop-off. There's no reason this team shouldn't be a top-three seed in the East. Um, you know, I see them I see them being right there with Brooklyn and Milwaukee. And, uh, you know, Philly, Boston, and some of these other teams are obviously are going to be good. But I, I still feel that with the Hawks' depth and with their, you know, top-end talent that they do have, that, you know, there's not a lot of reason for them not to be uh, not to be hosting one of Philly or, uh, or Boston in the second round uh, this this upcoming season. So we'll see what happens. I think it's like you said, I mean, it's a great time to be a Hawks fan. Um, I'm glad to have just started covering the team this year and kind of jump on that and, and, and kind of ride that in the, the perfect timing. So, uh, so yeah, man, I think the upside is there. They, uh, they absolutely should be confident that they can win the title. Um, I'm not going to make any predictions like that, but you know, they're going to be there. And we saw this past year, man, you never know what's going to happen in the NBA and the Hawks are one of those teams right there in the mix. So, Check them out on League Pass. Don't forget about them, and uh, and and you'll have a lot of fun watching them every time. I mean, it's gonna be hard to forget about them. They finally got national TV games, and then they got like twenty four something yeah. like that. So for the first time in forever, they're playing on ABC and uh, and TNT and ESPN. So good time to be a Hawks fan for sure. Yeah, it's cool, man. It's always good to see the NBA rewarding those teams by yeah by by having yeah. them on um on national TV. Thank you so much, Christian, for coming in, breaking down the Hawks. Um, I know there are. 
there are Hawks fans down here in New Zealand and, and obviously Australia where a lot of my listener base sits as well. So really appreciate you and, and exciting times for, in your career as you, as you know, you, you try to push on with, with a Hawks team that's doing exactly the same, you know, so wish you all the best. And I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to, to talk on what's a great young Hawks team. Um, have a really good day and we'll, we'll talk again soon. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me on. Can't wait to do this again sometime. Awesome. Thanks, man.